After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Friday. It's Erev Shabbos. How you doing? What kind of week has it been for you? I hope it's been a, a good week, a solid week. This was I was discussing this with uh, one of my kids last night. This is the uh, third week, uh, the third full week completed since uh, Yuntif. Hard to believe it's already three weeks. But we had Shabbos Bracious after a couple of days break after Simchus Torah. 
Then we had the full week, unless you were off Columbus Day uh, for Noah. Full week for Lechlecha. Now full week for Ayera. And here we are. As time continues to march on. And we say uh, good morning and uh, and welcome to a Friday from all of us here at uh, JMNAM. Shabbos Project Weekend. Everybody who's going to be enjoying and gaining and being inspired by uh, by all the programming going on around the world. Uh, we say... Um, Kolakavod. Kolakavod to everybody who's hosting people. Everybody who's uh, playing a role in showing uh, many people who don't know how beautiful Shabbos is, just how beautiful and incredible Shabbos is. Excuse me. Friday morning on this October the 26th is 17th of Mar Cheshvan. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayera in New York, candlelighting 539. 539 in New York. You heard Yaakov Shweki with Ma'amin. You heard Menucha Simcha done by Ari Goldwag. Shim Kramer with Aisha Schayel, brand new off the Forevermore album. Shlomo Katz, our good friend, who's now in Toronto. I've been, I've been watching some of his videos. As he said, the, the yard site continues. He's in Toronto now. Uh, Oz Yuranenu and Bowie Vishalom. And, of course, Regesh with uh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 40 degrees, 68% humidity, winds in north at 2 miles an hour, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 53. Then tonight, the rain starts, a low of 48. Looks like it's going to be somewhat of a washout Shabbos here in the New York area. Rain, thunder, wind tomorrow with a high, 56 degrees. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 61. They've taken quite a turn in Israel in terms of downward temperatures. It might even be raining in some parts of Israel. Uh, based on what we've seen. 61 in Yerushalayim, 40 here in um, New York City, as we say good morning at the JM in the AM. And I'm just checking here to see how long this whole rain situation is going to last. So tomorrow, lots of rain in this area. and then, Oh, yeah, by Sunday it should, be, uh, it should be fine. So it looks like Shabbos is going to be the, um, the key day for this uh, quote-unquote uh, washout. Today in Israel, partly cloudy, 62. In Yerushalayim, so no precipitation and no precipitation in the forecast in Israel until you get to uh, the second week in uh, November. Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for joining us. Big day today. Rabbi Chaim Hagler is going to join us. I think today he'll issue the official invitation to everybody to uh, tune in on Wednesday and participate in the uh, 18th anniversary celebration for Yeshivat Noam. So we'll speak to him in the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Holmline, weekly update. We get a chance to ask him questions, 740 Eastern time right here at JM and the Amber by Yudin, of course, with Parshas, uh, the discussion about Parshas Vayera. And by Dr. Aaron Glatt, who's assistant rabbi at the Unusual of Woodmere and who is chairman of medicine at the South Nassau Hospital and clinical professor at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He's going to join us uh, late in the 8 o'clock hour to talk about this measles outbreak. And um, hopefully, hopefully, uh, through his logical uh, presentation. Some people in this audience who who have been avoiding uh, inoculating their children will uh, will have an epiphany and will understand how important it is for them and for our community to, in fact, uh, take advantage of those vaccinations. All right, so we'll talk to them about that in the eight o'clock hour and plenty more all through today. Uh, as I know from this from the from the data and from the proof out there. A lot of people tuned in every Friday, all day long. Keep it here at the Nachum Siegel Network. It is the best way to prepare on an Erev Shabbos. Brand new Kinderlach is next. Welcome to JM in the AM.
קופץ משאיר למלך העולם. אז כולם לרחבה, יש מקום לכולם. בואו נרקוד, נקפוץ נשיר למלך
There we go. JM in the AM. Friday morning with the uh, Kinderlach off of their volume number four album entitled Sababa with the Kalbach medley. Uh, before that, Simcha Liner, Mim Komcha. That was a request from our app, the NSN, Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. Great opportunity for you to be in touch with us during the show or any time. Uh, Marilyn Mom on the app says, A good nerve of Shabbos. Please play Atem Mishamrim by uh, David Perlman to get us into the Shabbos spirit. See if we can get into that. Um, this listener says, Thanks so much for playing both of my requests in one. <laughs> oh, they requested both Simcha Liner and the Kalbach Mimkomcha. Nice. Sometimes I, don't, sometimes I don't even realize how well we're fulfilling those requests. Uh, Micha Gammerman had Bowie. You heard Bowie done by Yaakov Shweki. And uh, we opened up that set with the Kinderlach and Rotzim Lismoach off that brand new album here at JM in the AM. Want to wish a Mazel Tov, <coughs> excuse me, want to wish a Mazel Tov to Nahum Goldman of the Lower East Side, right here in this beautiful neighborhood, uh, and Malka Perlman of Brooklyn, New York. They are a recently engaged couple to our unbelievable and incredible neighbors, uh, David and Edie uh, Goldman and the entire Goldman and the Perlman families, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. That was a piece of amazing news that we heard earlier this week. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayera, candlelighting 539, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world of web, NachalZegal.com, the NachalZegal Network, and of course... צהריים טובים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ילדה בת ארבע נפצעה קשה מפגיעת רכב מסחרי ברחוב רש"י בירושלים. פרמדיק מגן דוד אדום, ליאור לוי, שהגיע לזירת התאונה, סיפר לגלי צה"ל על הפינוי והטיפול הרפואי. כשהגענו למקום ראינו את הילדה המחוסרת הכרה עם פגיעת ראש קשה. הענקנו לה טיפול רפואי מציל חיים שכלל תרופות והנשמה. והיא פונתה במצב קריטי ולא יציב לבית חולים, שם הרופאים ממשיכים להיאבק על חייה. כתבתנו בבירה, מיכל צ'ין, מוסרת שנהג הרכב הפוגע עוכב על ידי המשטרה שפתחה בחקירת האירוע. שר הביטחון אביגדור ליברמן הודיע על בחירתו בסגן הרמטכ"ל, האלוף אביב כוכבי, לתפקיד הרמטכ"ל הבא של צה"ל, כתבנו צחי דבוש. הוועדה למינויים בכירים תדון בכוכבי ביום ראשון הקרוב וצפויה לאשר את מינויו. אז שמו יועלה להצבעה בממשלה והוא יוכרז רשמית כרמטכ"ל הבא. כוכבי התגייס לצנחנים ומצעירותו היה חייל וקצין מצטיין. הוא כיהן בין היתר כמפקד החטיבה, מפקד אוגדת עזר, ראש אגף המודיעין ומפקד פיקוד הצפון. הוא בן 54, תושב הצפון, נשוי ואב לשלוש בנות. כוכבי הוא גם בוגר תואר שני מאוניברסיטת הרווארד בארצות הברית. בינתיים כבר יותר משעה חלפה מאז הכרזת שר הביטחון, ועדיין ראש הממשלה נתניהו, שרצה באלוף זמיר, לא פרסם הודעה בנושא. בלון תבערה הותר לפני זמן קצר בגבעת זאב. שוטרים וחבלנים שהגיעו למקום בדקו את החפץ החשוד ואספו את הממצאים. במשטרה קוראים לציבור לנקוט במשנה זהירות בכל הנוגע לעפיפונים ולבלונים העלולים להכיל חומר נפץ. הראייה החדשה בפרשת העיר עדה, אולגה, אשתו של רומן סדורוב, שמרצה מאסר עולם באשמת רצח הנערה ב-2006, מספרת על השיחה שניהלה עם בעלה ואומרת, עוד מוקדם לפתוח שמפניה. כמעט ולא ישנתי, טלפונים, הודעות, עכשיו דיברתי איתו בדיוק. גם קודם כל מאוד שמח, הוא גם מתרגש מאוד, שומע מאסירים ומסוהרים ברכות. 
אבל עוד פעם, זה משהו שאני חושבת עוד מוקדם לפתוח שמפניה, כי פרקליטות בטח ירצו לבדוק את זה לעומק. כתבתנו מוריה אסרף מזכירה שאמש פורסם ממצא פורנזי חדש שמצביע על קשר בין שערה שהותרה על גופה של רעדה לבין בן זוגה לשעבר של א' ק', צעירה שטענה בעבר שביצעה את הרצח. פרשת רצח העיתונאי ג'מאל חשוקג'י, נשיא טורקיה ארדואן קורא לסעודים לחשוף איכה נקברה גופת העיתונאי, כתבתנו אינה אנטונוב. ארדואן דרש מסעודיה לפרסם פרטים נוספים על רצח השוקג'י, בין היתר את מיקום גופתו ואת זהות משתף הפעולה המקומי של המתנגשים. בתוך כך רוסיה הודיעה שהיא לא מטילה ספק בגרסה הסעודית לאירועים, שמתארת את משפחת המלוכה מאחריות לרצח העיתונאי. מזג האוויר היום ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות עם חשש משיטפונות בנחלי הדרום והמזרח, מחר התחממות, אלה החדשות בצוות איטיאל דינר ואופיר ברוך.
JM in the AM with Miami, and I believe that uh, that also came from our app, a request from one of our amazing listeners. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayero with candlelighting time at 5.39. Before Miami, you heard Udi Davidi with Bowie Kala. I want to take this opportunity and wish a, a mazel tov to my uh, niece and nephew, uh, Devorah and Shlomo Siegel, brand new baby boy a couple of days ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, to all of the uh, grandparents and great-grandparents and uncles and aunts and cousins, and thank God there's a lot of them, uh, we say mazal tov from all of us here at the JM and the AM. And again to uh, Devorah and Shlomo mazal tov on their Bechor, uh, born just a couple of days ago. Uh, they are in Brooklyn, New York, and we say Mazel Tov. Got a great note from our good friend Norman Gilden. He says, Mazel Tov, uh, uh, Barbara and Norman of uh, Boynton Beach, Florida, and formerly of Teaneck, of course, are celebrating the Bar Mitzvah this week of their grandson, Donnie Lowy. Mazel Tov to Donnie's parents, Yoshua and Jennifer Lowy in Clifton. And to all the excited uncles, aunts, and cousins, Mazel Tov to siblings, Shandy, Sachi, and Gavi, and to the other grandparents, Harvey and Karen Lowy of Teaneck, New Jersey. May Donnie continue to be a source of great Yiddish and Nachas to the entire family and to Klai Yisrael as a true Ben Yisrael. And as he grows up in the years ahead, the Torah, L'chupa Ulamasim Tovim. So Mazel Tov, Barbara and Norman and the entire Gildan and Lowy families from all of us here at JM in the AM. Friday morning with candle lighting at 539, 40 degrees, partly cloudy and a high of 53. Big day here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We have amazing guests coming up, including our Chaim Hagler, who's going to join us in a couple of minutes. Uh, he'll issue the official invitation to tune in Wednesday as we have the uh, 18th anniversary celebration of Yeshivat Noam on the air this coming Wednesday. Uh, Naomi Nachman will be uh, doing Table for Two with Elon Kornblum and Shifra and Shlomo Klein of the brand-new Fleischig magazine. 10 o'clock, the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Erev Shabbos music mix, of course, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Harry Rothenberg with the... Uh, Parsha's Vieira video blog um, that's going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern time on our uh, on our network and uh, Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and with Rabbi Zwickler that happens at 9 o'clock tomorrow night and JM Sunday with Matis is coming Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern time always done live and an incredible presentation each Sunday with Matis and I thank him brought to you by our friends at Bedford on Park you know that Bedford on Park has a delicious lunch and incredible dinner every single day, including that 14-ounce boneless ribeye, the 32-ounce prime cowboy cut, and amazing starters and salads, great entrees. They've got delicious fish, uh, wonderful um, wonderful salads, including that the roasted beets and tomato salad that we keep hearing about from those who love salad and so much more. It's Bedford-on-Park, lunch and dinner every day, 61 East 34th Street in New York City. They're booking all their holiday parties, Thanksgiving dinners, Hanukkah parties, end-of-year celebrations for your staff and clients, and they're doing it now. 61 East 34th Street, a very convenient place, very convenient address for those who want to hold a post-work uh, celebration uh, toward the end of the year to thank your staff acknowledge your clients, etc. So we recommend you get in touch with Bedford on Park, 61 East 34th Street in New York City. Go to bedfordkitchen.com, bedfordkitchen.com. Tell them you heard about it here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayera, more coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Shalom Aleichem, Malachei Ashores, Malachei Elioi. Shalom Aleichem, done by Avramo Avram Fried off the Yankel album. Yoel Sharabi before that from an album entitled Shalom Aleichem. JM and the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Don't forget the NSN app. Be in touch with us via the NSN app. Go to the NSN Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Uh, somebody who identifies themselves as GZ Settler on our app. Uh, just five minutes ago, posted crazy. There were just two balloon bombs by our house. Hashem Yishmor. You could say that again. Uh, and then they write back again. Thank you for reporting the Israeli news because that's how I get my news. LOL. And they write in parentheses seriously. So Baruch Hashem, we've got that at the top of the hour. Stay safe, and we'll obviously bring up the balloon bombings 
or the uh, balloon fires uh, coming up with uh, Malcolm Holmline. Apparently, there's rumors of a of of a supposed effective ceasefire this time. Egypt has not been doing too well when it comes to uh, really implementing a real ceasefire from Hamas uh, along the Gaza border with Israel. Uh, But this time it seems there might be uh, some hope in that area. So we'll see. Weekly update comes up about 15 minutes from now here at JM and the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayera, candlelighting 539 here in the New York area. Well, Wednesday is going to be a very big day for us, and we are very much looking forward to it. We get to reunite with our good friend Rabbi Chaim Hagler and his hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, Baruch Hashem, students in Yeshivat Noam in Paramus, New Jersey. I know many of you remember when the first announcement was made about the founding of Yeshivat Noam uh, in a variety of places, including on JM and the AM. And I'm sure you remember early on, uh, we spoke to Rabbi Hagler, and frankly, we were fascinated by what it's like opening up a school and beginning a school. Well, get this, everybody. This Wednesday, we are celebrating the Chai, 18th anniversary of Yeshivat Noam, and we will be there with JM and the AM and even past JM and the AM on Wednesday morning. Again, circle your calendars, October the 31st. Those of you who are involved, uh, lay leaders, uh, parents, students, etc., you're all invited to be there and see the show live and in person. Uh, those of you who are not necessarily involved uh, but have been following this story for 18 years, make sure you're tuned in this coming Wednesday morning as we speak about and celebrate the 18th anniversary of Yeshiva Noam. Rabbi Chaim Hagler, of course, leads Yeshiva Noam since its day one, 18 years ago. Rabbi Chaim Hagler, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachman. It's great to be back here, as always. I appreciate that. What time does school officially begin this morning? 8 o'clock. All right, so we got a little bit of time, don't we? Uh, so, That's why we scheduled it this way. <laughs> everybody out there, well, yeah, there may be some people already in carpools listening. You don't know uh, what type of commute some of the people have to Yeshivat Noam. But everybody out there who's involved in the school in any which way, obviously they're invited to be there in the building and celebrate with us on Wednesday. And everybody else, like I said, who's been following this story for the last 18 years, uh, they could tune in and really hear a story, uh, a very, very, very big success story in the world of Jewish education. Now, what has been the reaction? What has been the reaction, not just to us visiting, but to this entire big 18th anniversary celebration among the students at Yeshivat Noam? The students are very excited about it. Um, You know, they love being here, and to celebrate an an 18th anniversary is just wonderful. They're excited about having a a live broadcast of JM in the AM right here. They're a little bit confused about that, like how it's going to (laughs) be that you'll be here and they'll be on the radio. So that's going to be a lot of fun for the younger children, those are some of the questions that we've been getting about it. Uh, And they're very excited to meet you. I appreciate so that. That's we're fu- looking forward to it. It's funny, by the way. I saw a documentary recently uh, uh, that spoke about uh, that whole concept that that some of the younger kids don't, uh, you know, are, aren't able to uh, understand how someone's in a box or a phone in this case, <laughs> and yet at the same time they're appearing right in front of them. So that should be a lot of fun. Now, I assume you've chosen some well-spoken youngsters, uh, both young ladies and young men. Uh, eighth grade and possibly even below, who are going to represent the school this coming Wednesday. We are doing that. Uh, we sent out a great survey to our students, to just uh, especially our middle school students, to talk about some of their favorite memories um, that they have, what they love about Yeshiva Noam, some of the things they've learned here. And we're going to be selecting some of those students based on those surveys to share 
some of those things with uh, with your listeners. So there's quite a vetting process going on, Rabbi Hagler. We're not just putting uh, any student on the air willy-nilly. We're going through a uh, a complicated vetting process, it seems. <laughs> well, for a JM and the AM, you must. Uh, we, I know that you are very selective about your uh, people that you put on the air. Exactly. So we look forward to meeting those students and student leaders, frankly, because very often those who are well-spoken and those who represent the school well, no coincidence, they, they turn out to be the same ones that are leading clubs and gatherings and special projects, etc. I'm sure that wouldn't surprise you at all if some of those that you've identified as student leaders over the last couple of years are the ones who are really well-spoken on the air. Yes, that, that is definitely the case. Um, and, and, you know, we're very proud of them, as we are of all of our students, really. You know, you mentioned something to me off the air, and again, it's a point I'm sure I'll make on Wednesday, but I, I just got to remind this audience about it. You know, so often and totally legitimately, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, totally legitimately, yeshiva high schools in our area and, and anywhere uh, take credit, and again, I, I mean this when I say totally legitimately, uh, when one of their students goes on to great success, whether they're members of the IDF, whether they're founding companies, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're community leaders, whether they're big Tamide Chachamim, whatever the case may be. But often, wouldn't you agree that sometimes people forget the the base of education, the you know, the the Aleph Bays and beyond that they picked up in a school like yours? And therefore, I think you also have to be very proud of those who, you know, years later have made a real name for themselves out there. That is definitely the case, and you know we talk about it all the time. Uh, that we understand, and just this past Monday night, as a matter of fact, we had our open house for prospective parents. And one of the things that I spoke about is that we understand that we'll, we are building the foundations for all of these children's future success, uh, and you can't minimize how important that is. Um, the foundation that they are getting here at Yeshiva Nomen and all of the elementary schools, the yeah. wonderful elementary schools. But I, I have to say that you're right, we are a lot of times um, people don't recognize it and um, you know, the, the role that the elementary school has played. I happen to feel very fortunate that a lot of our graduates do reach out to us and do come back um, sometimes when they're in high school, but even beyond that and stay in touch with us and, and just shoot us a little email to say thanks. Um, some of our graduates, you, you talked in, we were talking about you know, the fact that we have so many graduates in Sahal. Um, some of them have reached back out to us and told us that their love for Israel started right here in Yeshiva Noam. Yeah, that I believe. That I believe. I'm glad they recognize that. Like I say, sometimes it's hard to look that far back. Occasionally, and I'm sure you've seen this already because you're, you're in this for so long, occasionally you'll hear about a set of parents who insist on inviting every single teacher that their kid ever had to a bar mitzvah for that reason, right? They recognize what went on in kindergarten, what went on in first grade, etc. I'm sure you've seen that uh, once in a while. That sometimes happens. And in general, you see parents... Uh, who are extremely appreciative of every step of the way, every time somebody, a mentor, uh, had a positive effect on their child. And, uh, hey, as we know, that all begins, you know, in a school like yours. So everybody out there, utilize this Wednesday not just to salute Yeshivat Noam, but to salute those who have uh, given your kids an amazing foundation even before they got to high school. Rabbi Chaim Hagler leads Yeshivat Noam. Well, you know why I asked you to come on this morning. It's very simple. 
I want you to invite anybody who has who has had or continues to have anything to do with Yeshivat Noam to come down and join us on Wednesday. They'll have fun as they observe the show and see some of the people they've been either working with or hanging out with at some point during the last few years. And the other thing is that to invite my audience, everybody out there listening, and Fridays obviously we have a massive audience out there, uh, to tune in on Wednesday because uh, from your perspective and from mine, uh, there'll be some interesting points made and a lot of uh, wonderful people met uh, through these airwaves. And uh, just join me, Rabbi Hagler, in inviting everybody to uh, enjoy this coming Wednesday morning show. I, I will join you on that and, and say that for, for those that are affiliated with Yeshivat Noam, um, past or present, definitely come down. It's going to be great. You can have a chance to see people that you haven't seen in a while. Alumni are going to be here. Founders, former board members, former parents are going to be here. Uh, we have seven parents in the school that have a child, uh, that a child in the first year and still have a child in the, in the school this year. Um, so that's, that's exciting. Um, and even for your audience, we're going to have some great stories. Yeah. You talked in the beginning about um, you know, founding, how a school gets founded. I'm going to tell a story um, on Wednesday about how we got started. Um, our first day of school actually was 9-11, what? 2001. Is that um, true? Wow. The actual first day that we opened our doors was 9-11, 2001. Wow. Um, and we'll talk about, uh, obviously, that had an impact on the entire world. It has had an impact on a brand-new school that's just opening its doors. Wow. Um, and some of the struggles and, and, the, and the crazy things that had to come together where literally the, you know, the Friday before we opened, the town said, sorry, we're not giving you a variance, um, and how we got that together. Uh, so we have some great, fun stories. I think all of your listeners will enjoy them. Uh, two things. Number one, comment on the app for Mora Adina that radio broadcasting in JM and the AM is her lesson plan at Yeshivat Noam's music room next week. So, so, we, so we know and that. Mora Adina's going to have her choir performing live on Wednesday. Nice. So that's going to be great. Uh, we'll, we'll hear from them on Wednesday. And then somebody, I don't know if this is somebody who's a Yeshivat Noam uh, fan or, or he's trying to. Uh, to, to, to get your goat here, but someone who identifies as Maccabee says, ask Rabbi Hagler about his sports team. What do you think that listener means? Um, I think they're talking about some of the successes that we've had um, <laughs> uh, on, on the, on the uh, ball court. There um, you go. You know, maybe, maybe we'll bring out some of our trophies. And, uh, <laughs> what a visual. Talk about some of them. <laughs> what a visual. That would be great. <laughs> well, there you have it. We'll talk about everything from sports to Torah and everything in between, folks. This Wednesday, join us as we visit uh, Yeshivat Noam and celebrate their Chai 18th year. If you have anything at all to do with Yeshivat Noam over these 18 years, as Rabbi Hagler said, you're more than invited to be there on Wednesday morning when we broadcast. And I don't want to get into the exact schedule, how it's going to work. It's really not that important for anybody outside of this studio. Uh, but we will be there starting at 7 a.m. live. There will be a jam the AM starting at 6 as usual, but we'll be there live starting at 7 and we'll stay uh, certainly way after 9 a.m. Rabbi Hagler, a wonderful Shabbos to you and we'll see you Bezrat Hashem on Wednesday. Looking forward. Thank you. Rabbi, Shabbat, shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi Chaim Hagler, Yeshivat Noam. Looking forward to Wednesday's right uh, with us here at JM in the AM. Yitzchak Fuchs is next. Malcolm Honline coming up. Weekly update and plenty more on a Friday, a very exciting and packed Friday at JM in the AM. Yom Shabbaton Yom Achmadim Shomra Vezochav Hema Meidim Kileshish Akol Bruim Veomdim Shmei Shamaim Eretz Veyamim Kol Tzvam Arom Gohim Veramim 
ואני ואדם וחיית רעמים כי בישם צורון עמים הוא אשר דיבר לעושה גולתו שם עולקות שובבו בעצמתו שבת קודש יום חמדתו, כי בו שבת אל מכל מלאכתו, במצוות שבת אל יחליצך, קוקרא אליו יחיש לארצך, נשמת כל חי וגם נעריצך. אכול בשמחה כי כבר רצח ומשנה לחם וקידוש ברוחמת עמים ורוח נדירה יזכו לרב טובה מתענגים בה בביאת גורם ולחיי העולם הבא
J.M. in the A.M. Yitzchak Fuchs, Menucha Vesimcha. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayero with candle lighting at 539 here in the New York area. Lots of Kalbach uh, tefillot tonight. Uh, well, I think there's lots. I shouldn't say for sure. But uh, our good friend Morris, who was searching for one in Brooklyn yesterday, has found one according to his uh, comment on the NSN app. It's 545 this evening at 1861 East 22nd Street between Avenues R and S in Brooklyn, New York. Everybody's invited. Information speak with Elliot. The phone number's on our app. You'll see it in the comments section. Again, 545 tonight, 1861 East 22nd Street between Avenues R and S in uh, Brooklyn, New York. A happy birthday to Miri Leitner. May she have nachas and give nachas to all. Listener Devora posted that on our app moments ago. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. Print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world. Go to JewishWorldReview.com and take care of that. Also, a big uh, hello to our friends at OnlySimchas.com who continue to use a lot of what they hear here at the Nachum Siegel Network in their news feed of wonderful news stories from around the world, uh, around the Jewish world. Uh, go to OnlySimchas.com and check out their news feed every single day. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations joins us for the weekly update here at JM at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you as always. I don't know if you like this comparison or not, but <clears throat> with what's happening <clears throat> with with, hap- with what is happening this week in the United States, these pipe bomb deliveries, etc., and then watching the White House and the press go back and forth in terms of who's responsible for the rhetoric and the tone. <clears throat> and the tone in this country. Unfortunately for me, it reminds me, and we were we were reminded of this last weekend, of the uh, same type of rhetoric that goes back and forth around the time each year of the uh, commemoration of the assassination of uh, Prime Minister Rabin. Um, I mean, you saw last week, the, uh, the earlier this week, I should say, on Sunday, uh, the granddaughter of the Prime Minister in front of the current Prime Minister and President of Israel um, making you know, pretty drastic accusations about what they, or at least he, the prime minister, uh, was responsible for in terms of rhetoric and atmosphere around the time of the assassination. Do you do you think that these types of battles between the press and the administrations are comparable? I mean, every situation is different. It's not a new charge. It was made at the time of uh, the assassination and uh, repeated uh, frequently since. Um, and right now, the you know the charge that you bring against people is that they're a polarizing society, because there is a polarization taking place. Uh, I think it's more pronounced here, and it's uh, uh, even more pronounced in Europe. The the divisions, the, the loss of the center, the um, and we see it in in many places, in many countries. It's the nature of societies today, and the so I, I don't know that any particular accusation or the fact that that uh, his granddaughter uh, at the on the occasion of the memorial it's, it's the art site of, uh, of right. the assassination of Rabin so you know you have to be careful what what we read into every incident there is a troubling trend in the world and that that's no doubt and that that the manifestations of anti-semitism and um, and the debates over every reference, any kind of things, you know, sometimes is put in the category of racism or bigotry or other things, which it's not and would normally not become 
so hypersensitive about each of these things. But now there is there is reason to be in the, the um, we as a Jewish community are particularly sensitive when we see this kind of, um, of polarization and politicization, and particularly when it comes, our concern is that that not happen in the United States when it comes to Israel, and that's why the midterm elections have raised uh, concerns in a lot of circles. I mean, there's always been a an association, unfortunately, in history between you know political feelings and violence, and there's always been you know that that combination. But the blame, the the blame game, and 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 not not being ready to and willing to acknowledge that both sides, no matter what side you're on, everyone, whether it's Israel or the United States, really should be acknowledging the reality, and that is that both sides engage in all this and say, you know, some pretty crazy... Look, you're, I mean, you're generally a BB fan, so, you know, I don't know if you're the best person to ask about this, because I, I know you like him and everything, but, it, but isn't it somewhat exaggerated and really unfair that he continues for the last over 20 years to be the the whipping boy for the Rabin family, that he was responsible because of you know his rhetoric in the campaign that time for for Yigal Amir killing their grandfather. Yeah, I mean it's it it, it wasn't from then and the, and the uh, there were you know posters and things. Remember, dressed as Nazis and all that, and there was never any indication that that Netanyahu approved that or was involved with that. Uh, but you, you always go after the leader. You, the, you, it, blaming the people doesn't do anything. It, uh, it's harder to uh, to say that the atmosphere was created by some uh, minor figures or by you know extremist elements. You, you, in a politicized societies, they go after the leader, and while others would be allowed to would get away or they wouldn't continue to blame on other things, not talking about the assassination in general. Um, people then uh, focus on every action, every statement, everything that, uh, and at times leaders are not careful with things that they say, so it falls into this to this trap, this ongoing trap. Yeah, that's true. All right, you met, we'll, we'll get to the new chief of staff, the IDF, in a minute, but uh, you, you mentioned earlier the midterm elections, and uh, we've expressed concern. Frankly, uh, we've been in touch with Senator Schumer's office, but uh, he has still not agreed to this point. Uh, to discuss the issue with us, but they did send us his official statement. I felt it wasn't strong enough. I'm just curious what you have to say. Give me a second to read it. United States Senator Charles Schumer, in response to all of these articles and uh, and conjecture about the uh, Democrats uh, nationwide being uh, less pro-Israel than they used to be, said as follows, Senate Democrats are very strongly pro-Israel and will remain that way. Senate Democrats led the charge to pass the Taylor Force Act, a record amount of assistance for Israel to protect herself, including funds for Iron Dome and David Sling, and recently and unanimously passed a bill out of committee condemning the use of human shields by Hamas and Hezbollah. I, meaning Senator Schumer, will also be pushing legislation that strongly opposes BDS. It, 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 it sort of seems to me that he's avoiding the real issue here, which is there's got to be an acknowledgement that there's a segment of the Democratic Party right now that is really trying to shift the entire party regarding um, its feelings toward Israel. What do you think of the statement? Look, he's the leader of the Democratic Party. He uh, he stood up on, on a lot of issues. I don't think it's about Schumer. I think that this is a, a much broader phenomenon, something to which we devote a great deal of time, because we are concerned that, that Israel and other Jewish concerns, but particularly in regard to Israel, not become a partisan issue, not become politicized, not be allowed to, to 
be dictated by uh, small extremist elements on either side of of the agenda. We have uh, anti-Semitic people and people who said anti-Semitic things in the Republican side as well. The the statistics, though, show that uh, certainly on the issue of support for Israel, uh, a vast difference between uh, the two. But it's it's uh, overall, this polls still show that that the American people. On both sides, support Israel and support the U.S.-Israel relationship. Right. There is a problem, and and there is a small group that is going to be elected that are vehemently anti-Israel. We've always had anti-Israel people in the Congress. I think overall the Congress may be stronger for us in in some respects in the next election. And again, I'm not talking about who runs it, but mm-hmm. the individuals who are running. And um, uh, and in some aspects, if the House, for instance, is Republican, is Democratic, you'd have uh, chairmen's uh, chair people like Elliot Engel will take over foreign relations, appropriations will go to Nita Lowy. There are others that we won't like, but we, it's always true of either party. But there is a problem, and uh, we are certainly concerned about it. And rather than just condemning people, we are trying right. to work to do it. One of the things that is troubling to me is, is the associations with things like Farrakhan. Right. And again, uh, as you know, I, I point always to the developments in England, not always often, uh, certainly in regard to BDS many years ago, which turned out to be true, that we followed their pattern from top down. And I think that the divisions that we're seeing in England, we have to make sure that we don't allow that kind of a circumstance. And, and the real danger is that it's, it's, it is a small element that is vehemently and, and virulently, uh, let's say, anti-Israel, but they metastasize and they start to influence, and people look to them as a model. And when they win an election, they say, oh, that's the way. And, then they, and young people then get energized over, without understanding the real implications and significance of some of those positions. Right, but so, but you said it. You said it a minute ago that there is a problem and I'm just I'm just concerned that Senate leadership, Senate Jewish leadership or those who are looked to like Senator Schumer, you know, to to be leaders in that position and 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 to be supporting Israel, they're not acknowledging that there's a problem. That's that, not that's not, not the case. I can tell you in the conversations we have. Well, it's not that, in the well, state. they're not going to do it right before an election. You know, you know, you can't expect a Democratic leader or a Republican leader to come out and condemn the party, which which the whole party. It is not the whole party. Uh, we've met with the chairman of the Democratic Party. We've met with other leaders. We're we are, they are concerned about it. Uh, I can tell you, New York State Governor Cuomo has been concerned about it. He raised concerns with us about it a, a while ago. Other po- politicians in the Democratic Party have raised concerns and are helping to work on it. And, and I have to say that I think Senator Schumer is concerned about it, and I know he's concerned about this uh, this issue. You know, uh, are there things I want from every politician? I want more political leader to 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 be more in line and more outspoken on our issues across the board. All right. So but, a- so after November sixth, if you hear that the senator and others sat down with these uh, young progressives and and tried to uh, explain to them the reality and how important Israel is as a friend of the United States, that that it's very likely that could happen that they would take an active role and try to uh, alter their opinion and, and get them to understand the reality. Well, I happen to know that it's already happening. Hmm. What do you think of uh, the choice by, or the announcement by Minister of Defense Avigdor Lieberman that Aviv Kochavi will be the next IDF Chief of Staff? Uh, I think it's a great choice. Aviv Kochavi is in the mid-50s. He's brilliant. He's highly respected. Um, he was... Uh, 
and the deputy chief of staff, and um, I think it's, uh, it was a very good choice. There were other candidates. There were some of them were, I'm sure, equally or good also. But in terms of, I think bypassing him would have created some problems. Could you explain to us what Jordan did this week? He's been painted as the media as if they've canceled part of the peace treaty with Israel. Could you explain to us exactly what happened? Yes. Um, when they signed the peace deal 24 years ago, one of the provisions was that these two pieces of territory, one in the north, one in the south, one near about 130 kilometers or so from uh, Aqaba, and a um, lot. Uh, uh, this was an area that was um, used for agriculture. Both areas were used for agricultural purposes. And about 300 people, I guess, farm this land or families that depend on this land. And the northern area where the Isle of Peace, if you remember, it's right near the uh, where the seven girls. It, it is where these seven right. girls were killed and others injured by a Jordanian soldier who fired on them, and King um, King Hussein, the late King of Jordan, uh, went to visit the families and, and kneeled in front of them in, in, um, to ask forgiveness from them. Uh, and this was an area that in the 1920s a, a Jewish man bought a lot of this land, and he put up there a hydroelectric plant, because it's the confluence of uh, the waters there, um, I don't think it's functioning anymore, but there were, again, it was used for agricultural purposes. But in the deal, sovereignty was uh, given to Jordan. And the deal says that if a, they either side wants to change the deal or pull out, then they have to give notice one year in advance. And the deadline was this week. So that's why it was done this particular week, and they now keep saying that uh, this doesn't affect the peace treaty or our commitments to the peace. We will sustain it. But on the other hand, there's been a campaign for the last two years in Jordan, uh, pressure on the king, and 80 members of parliament, 30 members or 50 members of parliament in the last couple of weeks sent them a letter, but 80 leaders of Jordanian society sent the letter saying, in which they identified many things, but this was the one thing related to Israel was not to renew the deal. And so they were within their rights to do it. The problem is it sends the wrong message. Uh, and, and yesterday we saw how important the relationship is because there were uh, a horrific incident, a flash flood uh, near the Dead Sea that swept away a bus with 18 children in it wow. on the Jordanian side. And Israeli helicopters were brought in at Jordan's request, and soldiers went in to rescue other people and to... Um, um, to help people who were threatened by this uh, flash flood. So the Jordan-Israel relationship is always very complex. The king has domestic pressures. I don't think that that is an excuse, uh, that we should always allow people because they have, quote, domestic uh, pressures. We understand it. We, Israel has been very flexible with all its Arab neighbors over that in, in relationships that should be different and and quietly are different, but publicly are not. Everybody knows that Jordan's security is intertwined with Israel's, and that Israel does a great deal to sustain the king and and support him in many respects. And we all acknowledge that he has a very difficult uh, circumstance. So, so it's, it sounds like you're saying that what happened this week is likely not going to affect the long-term relationship between Jordan and Israel. 
Well, I think amongst the Israeli people, it will have an effect, and, and even amongst Israeli elected officials who are disappointed by this move. The question is, will they negotiate? Will they come to some sort of an understanding? Was this leverage, additional leverage? Do they want more money? Um, do they want to be paid for, for the use of the land right. uh, by the farmers? Let's see what happens in the negotiations. He had the right to do it. It's regrettable that he did it. I think sustaining the deal, as was agreed upon, uh, sends the right message. Um, look, we know, and as I said, we understand the total picture. You can't look at, you know, in isolation. And the fact that now they're trying to reassert the, their, uh, affinity, their affinity both with Israel and with the uh, and being re- re- reliant to, to comply with the deal um, is better than what we were hearing the days before. Right, that's true. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And I appreciate all the comments that are coming through on the app. Malcolm Honline is with us. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. A couple of things with the Israeli politics, if I may. Uh, first of all, those who say that the Jerusalem mayoral election is a referendum on BB's strength, uh, the political strength in Israel, you'd agree with that or not? You know, today everything's a referendum on, on BB where he gets up and what he does. And uh, well, That's true. Uh, but the, the it's a very contentious election, and I, I was, frankly, surprised to see him campaigning with Elkin now right. because uh, in the polls he didn't look like he was doing that well, although... You cannot predict. You have many candidates, religious candidates, and then the religious vote is split, uh, as you know. Um, and Moshe Leon had a rally of Haredim, and today or, or last night, and thousands of people came. Um, so you have him and Elkin and a guy Berkovich, who's very secular, and Deutsch, who is the uh, who's religious, the deputy mayor now, and respected by uh, many people across the spectrum. But it's it, it's likely that no one will win the first round, and they will go into um, a runoff. I think the election is on the 30th of October, and then November 12th or 13th, there's a, there's a runoff between the top two if nobody gets more than 50%, which is most likely going to be the case. The prime minister, I don't think he came out openly endorsing anybody. Uh, this is all happening because Barkat is stepping down to run for the Knesset, the current mayor. Right. And uh, the um, you know it, it reflects some of the factionalism in, in Jerusalem and in Israel overall. Um, so it's a, about it. So once this uh, ends on, I guess it would be Tuesday night, uh, it'll be a two-week, very, very intensive campaign <clears throat> as the runoff campaign uh, leads up into. And then we'll see. Already, people, some of the religious factions, others have said that if he wins, then we'll go with somebody else. If the guy, if the people they back in this round, then they will switch to to um, someone else. So there'll be a lot of jockeying and a lot of promises made, and then we'll see what the outcome is. All right, and tell me uh, again on the political scene in Israel about these accusations by the prime minister uh, toward Gidon Saar, uh, former minister in the government, that he's conspiring with the president of Israel that uh, once these elections are over, and, he's, and they mean, of course, a national election, uh, that the president would offer um, a Gidon to form a, a government before uh, the current prime minister. What do you make of this story? 
I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what the <laughs> deal is. <laughs> I wasn't privy uh, to any of this. Um, you know, the the Tsar uh, has denied it. Tsar uh, was uh, very popular in the Liquid Party. Actually, used to be a top vote getter within the party. He was Minister of Education last, and then he he left on his own volition. He, or others say there was pressure, but he left, uh, went into private life, and now uh, this assertion. I mean, he, he always positioned himself to be a candidate uh, for prime minister to run again, to run in the future. Um, you know, because of the speculation about whether there'll be early elections and one day it's on, one day it's off. And there was a statement uh, this week, one day that's absolutely the prime minister has backed off of it. The next day he was talking about it again. <laughs> uh, so it's leverage on his part because the parties, most of the parties won't gain in, in, by it. He, it looks like we could would gain some seats, but I just can't see Ruby Rivlin getting into an arrangement like that. I don't know. Maybe. Well, maybe, it's not. A, it's a, that. That's a good point. I mean, I'm not asserting that there's any truth to it. I'm saying we right. have no idea, but it doesn't. It's a great soap opera. I mean, story. there is a, a you know there is a deep division between the prime minister and the president. They, they don't get along, and there are comments made often, you know, without identifying the party, but everybody knows it. There's there's a lot of tension between them, uh, and. Um, that that gives rise to more speculation about it, you know. The, uh, he, uh, but I don't think they said now when there's no election and there's no choice to be made that I'm going to back you and we're going to conspire against the against Netanyahu. Right, I hear that. All right, you you know how much we love uh, watching uh, uh, world leaders come to Israel, especially those who are um, uh, interested in all the technology and the advancement that Israel has made. So tell us this. Tell tell, uh, tell us about this week's visit of the vice president of China uh, to Israel. It, it, was, it was an official economics conference, right? Like it, it, it was, it, this was not just a state visit. This was to participate together in some type of forum. So this is the fourth Israel-China joint commission on innovation. Wow. I think on innovation cooperation, something. I remember there's a lot of uh, initials. Right. And uh, there was a high-ranking Chinese guy, who, a Chinese leader, who was assigned to it. But this time, this is the, uh, an upgrade. In fact, this vice president, he's I think number eight in the Communist Party, meaning number eight in the leadership, which is very significant. Um, and he's very close to, to Xi, the president of, of China. Uh, so this was an upgrade in this uh, conference, which is held every year. But this year, they uh, opened an innovation center together at the Perez uh, Center in Tel Aviv. And the prime minister and the vice president were there. Jack Ma, many other people came to it, uh, leaders, um, uh, um, Eric Schwartz, uh, uh, Schwartz from uh, Google, Schultz uh, from Google, I know, was there, and others. Uh, you know, the trade between China and Israel in the... I remember in the 90s was like 50 million dollars. Uh, the last year they have a record 2016 it was 16 billion dollars. And the a lot of it is high tech IT etc in they trade about 180 billion dollars a year with with Arab countries but it's consumer items and lower level uh things and sometimes military equipment. Uh, Israel, you know, is very wary of of doing military deals in the United States is very protective of where there's joint technology. So they they don't sell military technology, but health care. I mean, it's such a wide range of issues from the Chinese buying into dairies and stuff. And Israel 
has expressed concern uh, about uh, what happens to intellectual property because of the past records. So the um, you know, it, it's a careful uh, thing, but it's expanding all the time. The relationship, 150,000 Chinese, I think, will visit this year. The um, And the interesting thing at the dedication is that they had a hologram of President uh, Perez, the late President Perez, in which he spoke of his spiritual will to them. And, you know, he talks always, he talked all the years about innovation technology, right. nanotechnology, <laughs> and all those other things. So this is like the fulfillment of his dream, the opening of this center. And, and there, the whole history of Israel's innovative uh, record is uh, is displayed. It's amazing. And down the road, we don't even realize how vital this relationship could be for Israel, especially when it comes to defense, when it comes to, frankly, you know, need for cash or you know some type of uh, a financial support for Israel's defense, etc. I mean, this could be an even more vital relationship than it is now. We should remember that China votes against Israel most often in the UN, and they vote with the non-aligned. They um, are often critical of Israeli policies at the same time as they are expanding their trade and, and the relationship. Uh, I hope that it will have uh, an effect. But, you know, the Chinese people, uh, I met once with the, the president of China, and, and um, you know, he spoke about two great peoples, the Chinese people, uh, two billion, and uh, the Jewish people, thirteen million, <laughs> right. and and he held out his hands like a scale that both two great peoples. And he talked about the history, about the commitment, the, the consistency that uh, we've been in the same land and commitments. And he said, "Look, I know they're less than of you, but you are so important, and and we have a lot to learn from you." And as Netanyahu once said, "You know, the Jews are a statistical error in the census in China, and uh, <laughs> the Jewish population. <laughs> so it is. It's very important. Israel needs relations as with India, with other countries, big countries. It's starting to warm up a little bit with Indonesia, um, and, but with Korea, with Japan, it has warmed up in the last uh, couple of years." So hopefully this this will uh, continue to expand. And you know that one of the reasons I bring up this news item, aside from the fact that it's timely and important, is because I want everyone listening to recognize the miracle that's going on and how miraculous this is. When you're in it, you don't see it always, and it is a miraculous development. Right. And and what is interesting also is how the while they uh, you know recognize Palestine, and I think they they. Uh, have said that they value the relationship, it's clear that it's no longer the same rules that, that would have precluded this kind of a visit or would have required uh, permission, um, given the tensions now with with Gaza, etc., that even the Arab countries are not pressing China about it and do not oppose, and that's why they can do all, do all of this in a much more popular uh, public uh, way. Um, and I think that that too is a message people should read into it. No question about it. Tell us about the uh, uh, the Iranian transfer of advanced missile components to Hezbollah in Lebanon this week. Well, it's something I've talked about for a long time, and it's something that's been going on. You saw all the attempts to send missiles. What What's different about this is th- these are guidance systems that they can put on the existing rockets because when the rockets used to be fired, they didn't have, they couldn't pinpoint the targets in Israel because they didn't have the guidance systems, and that they're upgrading them so their distance can go farther, which puts in, in jeopardy then military bases, the Demona reactor, big cities, and uh, uh, and they have a factory in Lebanon where they 
manufacture the guidance systems and and put them in, uh, you know, because sending them through Syria has proven very costly to them. They still are trying to ship all the time weapons through Syria. And we know that an airplane landed from Iran and Lebanon loaded with military equipment, including uh, missiles. They have probably 120, 130, maybe 150,000, some say, missiles. Uh, Many of them are are small. Uh, Some are very big. They can travel long distance or short. Um, as, and I'm sure over time some of them deteriorate, but they are now upgrading them with this process. And the, um, uh, you know, Hamas, and there's no sign Hezbollah right now wants to go to war, but the threat that they have that this, these could be launched and their Iranian handlers are, uh, you know, really in control of what, what they will do ultimately. The people of Lebanon don't want it. Even Shiites in southern Lebanon, in the area controlled by, by Hezbollah, have protested the placing of these missiles. They put them in, in, in people's homes. How close How close are they to the border? Very close. Like on the border. Doesn't the U.N. have an obligation to clear that so area? So under 1701, they have a clear obligation. They are not exercising it, and that was true in the, in the outpost that was discovered by Israel in the Golan uh, of Hezbollah. Uh, you know, the president signed the law against Hezbollah, uh, imposing further sanctions uh, against them uh, just yesterday, uh, I think. And um, the the, the, uh, Hezbollah's involvement, and you will see more and more reports now about their involvement in South America, the money, the cash, the drugs, uh, which provide a lot of the income. It's not coming just from Iran and Speaking of the uh, hope for quiet borders, will, will this week's uh, Egyptian attempt for a ceasefire along the Gaza border with Hamas uh, be effective? There's no reason to believe uh, right now that anything has happened to, to really change it. There is a lot of pressure because it's domestic pressure, which is driving the demonstrations and other things that Hamas is, is trying to um, def- def- uh, deflect from the internal economic conditions, which are imposed by the PA, it's not by Israel. Uh, Israel allowed in Qatar-sponsored fuel to to the to Gaza. Uh, the situation there ha- is deteriorating. We know that, the, that that is the case. Uh, Hamas, they said, is planning uprisings in the West Bank against the PA. They were, this came out from one of the um, former IDF uh, high-ranking analysts and officials. The, uh, as well as many other charges about this. I mean, we've known for, for a long time. But 
so Egypt wants to to try to play the role of, of bringing the parties together and has tried to negotiate for a long time about it. And they look foolish every time it fails, and it fails. Well, I don't every... know that they look foolish because everybody else has failed at it too. The Europeans have tried, the Americans have tried. Uh, the uh, and remember now, the Arab countries are backing the efforts. The Gutter is the most directly involved um, in giving uh, funding for for uh, expenses there. But the um, and and at the same time, we should note that the uh, continuing efforts at the border to cross the border, that the riots continue every weekend. They're not demonstrations; they're riots. The uh, balloons set on Wednesday, I think, eight fires, yeah. and they're doing a lot of damage. People so, don't realize it. And there was a balloon with an incendiary device that landed in Yerushalayim uh, yesterday, or yeah, I think it was yesterday or the day before. And, uh, you know, th- this war continues from there. It's not that they have backed off in any way and tens of thousands of people might show up rallied by them, maybe even paid by them, by Hamas to, to come. But they're continuing. And, uh, you know, we should um, we should take it seriously. By the way, I, back to China for a second. I forgot to mention I wanted to that I saw the story that the uh, influential Chinese bank has uh, announced they're stopping to work with Iran. This is the bank of Kunlun you're referring to, I think, yeah. that the, this is a bank. And what's significant about this bank um, is that, the, first, it's a key Chinese bank. They've stopped, they stopped taking euro-denominated money already, transactions in August, but now they've stopped all transactions, including U.S. denominations, uh, denominated currency. Uh, it's the, and the bank of Kunlun is associated with the, uh, the state-controlled energy group, so I think it's uh, CNPC or LNPC, um, and they have completely suspended all payments. This is a very important further step because the Chinese, as you know, have been still do business and still uh, are now being used as one of the ways to bypass the sanctions, is storing oil in China, I think in Indonesia, um, where there's a, supposedly a deal with Russia uh, and with others, and they're, they are, you know, turning off the transponders on the oil tankers so that the United States and others can't track where the oil tankers are going, where they're loading up. And then they're doing some other diversionary tactics like filling up uh, largely at, at Iran and then go to Kuwait and top off uh, and take additional and then say that it's Kuwaiti oil. So they're looking for desperately for ways to bypass the, the sanctions. They announced that they're going to give subsidies to 20 million Iranians and that they're giving out 10 million cards for, for benefits because people are starving. The economic impact, both of the, of the sanctions and of the uh, efforts of government, the, the overall economic policies uh, are terrible. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, uh, projected this week that Iran's economy would, be, would shrink by 3.6% next year. And, that, and this is after God knows how much shrinking it's been doing already in the last few that, years. And, and the currency, as you know, has gone down multiple times. I think it's now $150,000. People's accounts are, are virtually worthless. Uh, so they're infusing money. They're, they're supposedly giving foreign currency, but they don't have it. So they're trying to get foreign currency abroad, and they're making people turn in uh, their foreign co- uh, currency. So they're they're pretty desperate uh, to to stave off 
the unrest from increasing. I was told this week by uh, somebody from Iran, a former official, that there are at least 13 uh, economic sector demonstrations a day, meaning from unions, businesses, others, where people are protesting 6,000 over the last year. You don't see this reflected in in the media, uh, and that you know they killed a journalist this week. At the same time that they they were condemning Saudi Arabia, <laughs> they killed a guy on the street because he was a dissident. And uh, you know the the um, unfortunately they are a beneficiary along with Turkey from this whole controversy. Um, they're able to exploit it. But they're not doing it very vocally because they know that if you start turning attention to the fact that the, these two are countries that have imprisoned more journalists probably than anybody else, certainly Turkey imprisoned 100,000 people, many journalists did not return, and, and Iran has consistently done it. So they're, they've not made a campaign out of that. But the, the internal situation clearly is deteriorating people's uh, economic conditions, this compounded by the drought and uh, the lack of foreign currency. So, And then at some point, this will explode against the the government. They are taking steps to, uh, with the Basiji and others, and now we are going to have sanctions, additional sanctions against them uh, coming from the United States. And all of those who say, well, the United States acting alone and, you know, doing these things, it doesn't work. It does work. And we see that all the European companies and others are following the U.S. lead, even though their governments are saying they're, they're going to plan, you know, a runaround, uh, some way to bypass and some way to counter uh, the, uh, when the sanctions come. Everybody's afraid of these sanctions that are coming on November 4th. And they will be hard, I'm told, and, and uh, very restrictive, especially in the oil sector, which is a lifeline for Iran. I mean, I don't know how long they can survive being choked economically like this. It seems compliance would be the only way out, but I don't know. Maybe. And, and you know, the, 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 there's constantly ways that they invent and they find to bypass, um, they try to bypass the sanctions, but the noose keeps tightening. You know, in Treasury, they have 700 professionals in the, in a, in the office of, uh, that deals with the imposition and tracking uh, the capital or tangible assets so that they stop their transfer, the ability to repatriate the money from the sale of, of these things. Um, and they, I have to say, I think Treasury has done a great job. I, uh, Ms. Mandelker, who's the undersecretary in charge of the sanctions, um, spoke about it this week in Israel. She was there with Mnuchin, the Secretary of Treasury, uh, who they were um, um, uh, trying to, they, they were there to coordinate in regard to the uh, sanctions and the impact that uh, that they will have, uh, and and they visited other places as well. This is uh, a coordinated and important effort, and the fact that the legislation, additional legislation, sanctions are being legislated and signed by the president, equally important. Two separate, just to wrap up, two separate uh, commentors on our uh, on our app. The first says. Uh, the first says, uh, crazy, there were just two balloon bombs by our house. Hashem Yishmar, this is somebody we're familiar with in Israel. And then the most recent one at 8.18 this morning Eastern Time, this listener writes, the balloon landed next door to me in Givata Miftar, and they make them child-friendly, so a child will touch it and it explodes. Exactly. No underestimating the enemy, huh, Malcolm? This is exactly right, and I'm glad you said it because, you know, people talk about toys, and, and I keep telling him that that is part of the sinister nature 
of this thing is that they will use toys. They want they want to harm children. They want to harm everybody, but but children as well. They, they, they kill their own, but they uh, certainly want to kill the Israeli children, and and they don't discriminate whether it's an Arab or, or Israeli child because they don't know who's going to pick it up. Right. But the, the you know, and often the, the things they launch land in their own territory. You know, some of the victims that are being blamed on Israel were really victims of these stones where these kids, you know, whip them up into, to hit, go at a high velocity, and they don't get across the border. They hit their own people and, and can kill them or badly wound them. That, that's only one example, but the rockets often hit within the territory, their own territory. And this, um, the use of, of the balloons and kites and things, uh, it, it, you know, and the world says, well, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's the only way of protest. It's, 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 to legitimate it in any way is just simply such an outrage. This is a human rights violation. This is true, uh, should be a war crime. And they run to the U- UN, the ICC, and everything to do it. And I have to say, U.S. has stood by them. I think many of the Arab countries also find it abhorrent. The Europeans, as usual, are generally silent, although there are some that have issued uh, condemnations. They're so busy now uh, worrying about whether the U.S. Uh, peace plan, rather, and the France now threatening to, to come up with its own. We know what success the Europeans have. It's only the United States that can do it. And here you have the, the people in the administration who are working on this all the time. I think Mr. Greenblatt is going to Israel next week again. But there's no partner. And all of this is artificial, and it's meant to build pressure on the United States. They should not succumb to it. We should do more. I saw John Bolton this week was in Azerbaijan it was a, and heard at a great visit. We have to build the ties with the allies that we have. Unfortunately, the, the, all the attention has been focused on the, this unjustified and, and still incomprehensible attack in in um, in uh, at the embassy and in, in, at the consulate in in Turkey, okay. they've diverted attention, uh, and many things still go on. The press does not cover most most of this, and it's very regrettable because people then don't have a real picture of what's happening in the world. All right, thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Good again job. next week. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Fridays for the weekly update, seven forty Eastern time, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nahum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pasha's Vayera. Pasha's Vayera is such an exciting parsha. We begin with the extreme Chesed of Avram Avinu, who, according to our rabbis, Vayera Elav Hashem, Hashem appears to him on the third day after his circumcision. And Avram had been pained that he could not extend hospitality. Hashem had made the day especially hot. And that wasn't satisfactory to Avraham. He sends Eliezer, according to our rabbis, out to look and uh, for wayfarers, people on the road. And he says, Master, there's no one out there. It's too hot. So Hashem sees how troubled Avram is, so he sends three angels in the form of men for Avram to provide hospitality. And Avram 
And this is an interesting question, how he's able to do this. Avram says to Hashem, excuse me, I know you've come to visit me, but I'd like to go and tend to the needs of these three. Come on, nomads, idol worshippers, incredible. And he doesn't give them peanut butter and jelly. He doesn't give them some lemonade. What do we find he gives them? He gets the whole household whipped up into the chesed mode, and he runs, 99 years old, three days after his circumcision, very hot, he runs after the animals that he's going to serve them at this barbecue. Sarah quickly makes brownies, involves Yishmoel, and whips the whole house into chesed. It's not just that Avram does chesed, he does chesed in the extreme. And the parsha ends with the famous Akedah, whereby once again Hashem tests Avraham, and in a way he's testing him to the extreme. Of all the ways to test him, Avraham waits a hundred years until he's able to have a child, and this is the child that, quote, yesterday Hashem had promised Avraham that through this child will be his continuity, and now Hashem is telling him to take Yitzchak and bring him as an offering on Har HaMoriah. And Avram passes the test until the last moment. He's ready, willing, and able to do this. The last moment, the angel stops him, and the rest, as we know, is history. I'd like to share with you one or two exciting insights on the Akedah. And that is as follows. First of all, as a way of introduction, the Rambam, Maimonides, in his Mora Nevuchim, in his Guide for the Perplexed, says, do you want to know what is a very significant lesson that we learn from the Akedah? After all, the only prophet that God spoke to, Peh El Peh, face-to-face, is that of Avram Avinu. I'm sorry, Moshe Rabbeinu. Avram, like all the other prophets, Hashem spoke to in a dream, as we're told at the end of Parshas Baha'u Now, says the Rambam, could you imagine if Avram was 99.99.99% sure of the reality of the dream and its message. He never would have done it. We see how clear the prophets understood their message of Nevoah prophecy, that he's ready, willing, and able to do this, even though it defies and goes against everything that Avram taught all of society about him, that God doesn't want human sacrifice. So the directive of Hashem at the very beginning of chapter 22 is, Vayomer love, God says to him, Avram, Avram says, Hineni, here I am. And the second verse is, Vayomer Hashem says, Kach please take your son. And he tells him to bring him as an offering. Now, on the phrase, Kach Noah, Rashi cites from the Gemara in Sanhedrin 89b that 
Hashem says to Avram, please do me a favor. Please stand firm in this last test so that the people shouldn't say, come on, the first ones, the first ones were not substantial. This one here, this is a substantial test. Now, that's very difficult to understand. Because after all is said and done, I ask you, Avram, at the age of 99, when he performs his circumcision, he didn't need an operation. That's what his urologist had told him. He did it for one reason and one reason only. God told him to do it. Wasn't that a valid test? Leaving his home, leaving everything behind, including an aged father, isn't that a valid test? According to many, being thrown into the furnace, and we can go on and on. How is it that the Talmud can say that please pass this one, this test, so that people shouldn't say that the others were without substantiveness. Rav Schwab, in his Sefer, Mayon Beis Hasho Eva, gives a very interesting answer. He says, if we look at all the trials, all the tests that came before the Akedah, they were all regarding Avraham himself. Namely, would Avraham um, complain to God when there was a famine, or he would go to the land of Mitzrayim? Would Avraham be there when his Lot, his nephew, was taken captive and he had given his word, if you'll be in trouble, I'll be to your right, I'll be to your left, and he goes to war against the four kings who defeat the five kings. Why is all this Ambo Mamish, all this are not really substantive? Rav Schwab suggests that all these tests were only testing Avraham. Would Avraham pass the test? None of these tests prior showed Avram's ability to transmit his belief in one God to the next generation. That not only would Avraham be ready and willing and able to do anything and everything for God, but the next generation as well. And so, indeed, when in the Akedah we find not once but twice, Vayelchu Shneim Yachtov, father and son, went together, meaning they're unified, and after all, how old is Yitzchak at the time of the Akedah? The answer is, he is 37 years old. And he doesn't say to his father, Abba, I think you're carrying this religious bit just a little bit too far. No, it's called the Akedah, and ask yourself, of all the different actions that Avram does to fulfill the directive of offering Yitzchak as a sacrifice, yes, one of the actions is that he ties down Yitzchak on the Mizbeach. Why should this whole procedure be called Akedah? And the Medrash gives a very insightful answer that Yitzchak who realized exactly what was happening that he was going to be the offering 
says to his father, Akodli, tie me down tighter, stronger, so that I don't flinch and, God forbid, disqualify the Korban. So the very name Akedah is the answer to the question that everybody asks. Why is it called Akedas Yitzchak? Wait a second. That is the test of Avraham. What about the test of Yitzchak? And the answer is Yitzchak passes his test by telling his father to tie him tighter. And so we can appreciate what Rashi says that the uh, the prior tests were aimbo mamush. They didn't have anything substantive, meaning they would not be passed to the next generation. I'd like to corroborate that which Rav Schwab is saying in his Sefer Mayon Beis Hashoeva, with the teaching of Rav Chaim. Yaakov Goldwicht, Zechet Sadik Levracha, the Rosh Hashiva of Kerem Biavna. And he says the following In last week's Parsha of Lech Lecha, Hashem says to Avraham, Come on, we're going outside. He takes him outside. Now, why? Because you can see the star lit sky better when you're outside. And Vayomer, and he says to Avram, this is in chapter 15, verse 5, Habitna Hashemaimah, look up to the sky, Usfora Kochavim, and count the stars. Imtuchalis Porosam, can you count them? Vayomer, lo, and God said to him, Ko Zarecha. God said to him that so shall your offspring be. At first glance, what it means is that your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars. Fasten your seatbelt and listen to the interpretation of Rav Goldvich. According to the rabbis, means that Hashem took Avraham literally outside the natural order. And he was saying, you, Avram, will not have a child. Avraham, I'll change your name, and I'm going to change your destiny. Avraham will have a child. Sarai, she is not destined to have a child. Sarah, I'm going to change her name, and I'm going to change the destiny. So, say Oso, he took him out of the natural uh, order of things, and he says to him, so shall your children be, meaning just as you are beyond the natural, just as you have been victorious over nature, so too shall your child children be. Now watch. As we go further in the Akedah, in verse 5, Vayoma Avram el Neorav. Avram says to his youths, okay, according to the rabbi, they are Eliezer and Yishmael. Shvulachem po imachamor. You stay here with the donkey. Vani vanar, and I and the young man, Yitzchak, Nelcho Adko, we shall go 
Now, what does Adko mean? Many <coughs> translations are we will go hither or beyond. We're going a little bit beyond. You stay here, we're going beyond. This is one interpretation. But Rashi says on the spot, on Melcha Ad Ko, that we are going to Ko. Avram says, let me see what is going to happen to God's word who said to me, Ko Yezarecha. And watch this. Melcha Ad Ko, Hashem shows Avraham at the Akedah that just as Avraham is Hachutza, the Malam and Ateva, Yitzchak Avinu, says Rav Goldvich, by saying, Abba, bind me tighter, he is doing the exact same thing. He is showing that he too has not only gotten the message of his father of monotheism, but he too is going beyond the natural. And finally, there's a Medrash Plia that says, oh my goodness, we find this again later on in Parshas Vayeshev, when the wife of Yosef's master, Eshes Potiphar, uh, accuses Yosef. So the Torah says that Vayonas, Yosef, runs and it would have been enough to say he ran away. Why does it have to say that he went outside? The answer is, which chutzah? He's going to the chutzah of Vayotzei Osoha chutzah, back in 15, showing that God's prophecy is not a prophecy of Echos, excuse me, of Kamas, is not a prophecy of quantity necessarily and only that your children will be numerous as the stars but children a prophecy of echos of quality that your children are going to be wow beyond the natural Yitzchak beyond the natural bind me tighter Yosef beyond the natural able to flee the desires of his mistress putting himself in the greatest uh, situation, not caring, only doing what's right. What a powerful lesson we are being taught. And the idea is that we shouldn't say, it's only an Avram, it's only a Yitzchak, it's only a Yaakov, but it's each of us. By the small things that we do, we too can rise above our natural and our Kodesh Baruch Hu will please God respond to us in kind. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M. with brand new Ohad. Called Lovado off the album entitled Bisha Tova. J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning as we continue here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Candlelighting time in the New York area, 539 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayera. Uh, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt is with us live via telephone. He is an infectious disease specialist. He serves as chairman of medicine at the South Nassau Hospital and clinical professor at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Medical Center. He's also assistant rabbi at the Young Israel of Woodmere, and he has uh, graciously given of his time this morning to speak with us about this measles outbreak that is that is um, hard to believe, frankly. Uh, uh, the cause of it, if I have it right, and we'll speak to him about that, and obviously is very frightening for a lot of our communities worldwide. Rabbi Glatt, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate that. Um, first of all, I'm just curious. I know this is not the most important thing, but I'm curious about it. Has this happened before in our community? You go back 20, 25, 30 years. Uh, ha- have there been measles outbreaks that have been uh, that have been attributed to a lack of uh, vaccinations or the desire on the parents' part to vaccinate their children? So this has become much more of a common problem in the last, I would say, five to ten years where we are seeing multiple such outbreaks in various Jewish communities, both here in the United States, in Europe, and in Eretz Yisrael. And we are unfortunately having a significant, albeit still relatively small, but very significant number of parents that are refusing to vaccinate their children. And this number is unfortunately increasing, and it's focused on segments of the Jewish population that interact very closely with each other. The first time the word Chavrusa was ever mentioned in the New England Journal of Medicine was because of a mumps outbreak, which they attributed to the very, very close and, uh, Baruch Hashem, consistent conversations in the very close base Medrash-type setting, uh, making transmission of such infections unfortunately extremely likely to occur. Wow. Uh, and we've read, of course, many people listening right now are, are up on the news about the different communities, Williamsburg, Muncie, Lakewood, Israel, that are being affected right now. Is there any, and I want you to be as clear as possible, is there any halachic basis for a parent not vaccinating or having to vaccinate their child? So, again, there are many, many great postgames on the subject. I'm not aware of any postings ever published or even today who says that it's forbidden to vaccinate. So the great, great postings of all time have weighed in and saying this vaccination is certainly something that should be done or must be done. 
Rav Asher Weiss Shlita, the posik for Shari Tzedek Hospital in Eretz Yisrael, certainly one of the major poskim today in medical halacha, says it's an imperative. That's actually based on this week's parsha. And he says it's a mitzvah to get out to get vaccinated, and that you're putting others at risk if you don't. And he has poskim publicly that yeshivas have every right not to let students come into the yeshiva if their children aren't vaccinated. Unfortunately, the Department of Health has come up with the same sock right now in the affected areas. It is not allowed. They will not let children into the schools who are unvaccinated because they are a major potential vector for transmission of uh, these very, very serious, potentially fatal, Baruch Hashem, most of the time not fatal, but very serious. There have been uh, fatalities associated with measles. There have been miscarriages in the Jewish community. There have been uh, tremendous uh, uh, complications and problems, and just the tremendous agma snapfish. I have grandchildren in Eretz Yisrael that had to get unnecessary additional vaccinations and painful gamma globulin shots because somebody mistakenly thinks that vaccination is dangerous and bad. Well, why, in fact, there's no medical evidence for that. Why additional shots? If, if one has the basic vaccination, are they not protected? So it depends. For some of the vaccines, for example, like mumps, um, even if you've gotten two shots, if you're in an epidemic, they recommend that you get an additional shot. For the MMR, for the measles vaccination, you don't get two shots right away. You get one shot at about 12 months, and you get one shot when you're four or five years old. So, for example, my granddaughter was exposed when she was two, so she got her appropriate single first shot and then needed to get an extra shot now. I don't know if that's the right way for her to get properly vaccinated. Is she going to need another shot when she's four years old? Is she going to need a shot when she's 18? We don't know. We have schedules of vaccinations that should be followed. Anytime you deviate, you're putting everybody potentially at risk. These vaccines aren't perfect, and I don't recommend that every single vaccine be given to every single patient. But these are the basic childhood illnesses that have been fatal in the past. We have eradicated smallpox solely and only due to vaccination. 300 million people died in the 1800s from this disease. This is a machla of unbelievable proportions, and chazbe Hashem, we have been allowed to eradicate it. Polio, I know people today that still never are, are very significantly disabled because of polio that they had as a child. And Baruch Hashem, there is no more native polio in the United States. It's only due to vaccination. Anybody that says otherwise, they're not a mumcha. They just don't know. You can't follow their opinion. Hawacha says you must follow the mumcha. Wow. Right. Every single mumcha, none, bar none, every single medical profession with expertise in this area recommends vaccination. For somebody to say, oh, I've read the literature and I know otherwise, or this person says this or that, is, is shtus. It's nonsense. You can't paskina halacha based upon shtus. Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glad is with us, infectious disease specialist. And by the way, you answered a very important question that a lot of people have been asking, and that is why would any of this affect kids who are vaccinated? And you've answered that question because of the way you described the uh, the course of, of uh, vaccinations for children. And also, as you also mentioned, you know, we're not 100% sure that everything is exactly uh, you know, effective against every strain of, you know, each and every one of these things. I think it's a really important answer because people have been asking right. that question. Why are their kids not safe if they're in that environment? What happens to the kids who get measles? Are they quarantined? Are they left out of school? Yeah, absolutely. They ha- absolutely. They can't go to yeshiva. They absolutely can't go to yeshiva. They're highly contagious. Uh, uh, all the bitl Torah that's caused by this, they're not letting kids into yeshiva. Other kids that are exposed, 
it, it's terrible because, first of all, some children can't get the vaccine because they have cancer, they have other major immune problems. When those okay. children are exposed, you're destroying them. A, you're potentially killing them, but even more importantly, from the point of view of those families, they're going through so much difficulties with the child, and then to add this on top of it, it, it's just, it's it's terrible. And if there was a reason for it, we could understand it. But the parents of not vaccinating these children are being very selfish. And the herd immunity, the concept that the more people in the community to get vaccinated, the less likely you'll ever have such an exposure, such an outbreak, it's very important. It's the same thing with influenza, which people don't understand, even though the vaccine is nowhere near as effective, the more people that get vaccinated, the more likely it is that you won't have significant outbreaks. Rahman Lassan, in the United States last year, 180 little children died from influenza. 80% of them were unvaccinated. Is the vaccine perfect for influenza? Absolutely not. At the same time, it's the best thing that we have. 180 little children died last year from influenza. You know, you're, you know, you're not... say that the risk of the, of, of the vaccination is, is so great that it's not worth that. You know, you're not really responsible to answer this, but I'm curious if you know or if you can conjecture. How did this attitude seep into our community about non-vaccination? Unfortunately, there is a very powerful and, and small but very influential number of people in the country, both in the from community as well in the in the in the Gaish community, the secular community. Is is Israel somehow he- believes anti vaccination is the right way to go. Israel here or both? Both. People that understand about anti vaccination was originally against the Catholic Church. These people are following in the in the traditions of the people of of uh, uh, Catholic Church in that they were against vaccination for religious reasons. Right. We we shouldn't be doing things like this, following the chukos ha'anim. Your, uh, your message this morning is very simple. <laughs> Whatever effort anybody can make out there, number one, to make sure their own kids are vaccinated and to make sure that they, uh, uh, they keep uh, their neighborhood safe by making sure that others vaccinate their children and, of course, continuing to spread this word throughout our worldwide community, we are doing a tremendous service and saving lives. So the, Absolutely. The message simply – I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I just wish everybody would ask their rub to speak about it and Shabbos. Have the rub give a drush about it. They should go to their schools and speak to the Russia yeshiva and say, we don't want in our yeshiva to have any children that are not vaccinated. The Baruch Hashem, there are a lot of yeshivas that have this policy. And Rav Asherai Shlita, as well as other gedolim, say that it's absolutely permissible for yeshiva to not allow vaccinated children in. How does somebody have the right to go and put my children at risk? Because of something that they're doing that's not kahalacha and not scientific. I'm not saying that every post that says you must get vaccinated is a mitzvah to get vaccinated. There are great posts that don't hold that it's a mitzvah. But almost all of those posts that I've spoken with say they urge you to get vaccinated, even though it may not be a mitzvah. It's like what Moshe is saying. He wasn't willing 50 years ago to come out and say it's a mitzvah to rise to smoke. But he said, much more importantly, absolutely don't smoke. Right. Uh, Rabbi Glatt, you're at the forefront of a very important effort. Call out Kavod, and we will do our best to continue spreading the word. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, and a wonderful Shabbos to you. Thank you so much. A pleasure and honor to be on your show. Appreciate that. Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatz, Assistant Rabbi at the Young Israel of Woodmere. He is an infectious disease specialist who chairs the Department of Medicine at South Nassau Hospital, clinical professor at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. The message is simple, everyone. You know me. I'm going to break it down to a very simple message. Vaccinate your children. And do everything in your power to make sure your relatives vaccinate theirs and do everything in your power to make sure your neighbors and friends vaccinate theirs. 
to say that this is a life-saving proposition, as Rabbi Glatt just described, is an understatement. It is an epidemic-saving proposition. Friday morning broadcast in this era of Shabbos, Parshas Vayera, candlelighting time in New York, 539 on this era of Shabbos. Plenty more coming up because, oh, before we uh, before we say it's time to say good Shabbos, I want to wish a mazel tov to Barbara and Norman Gilden down in Boynton Beach, Florida, and formerly of Teaneck, the bar mitzvah this week of their grandson, Donnie Lowy. Mazel tov to Yoshua and Jennifer Lowy of Clifton, all the excited uncles, aunts, and cousins, siblings, Shane D. Sachi and Gavi, and of course to Harvey and Karen Lowy of Teaneck, New Jersey as well. Mazel tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM.
Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up a Friday. Plenty coming up. Naomi Nachman is next with the uh, Table for Two broadcast. Uh, Naomi today is going to have uh, Elon Kornblum and Schiffer and Shlomo Klein of the brand new Fleischig magazine. Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem, starts at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, uh, 1 o'clock rather, for Harry Rothenberg's video blog for Parshas Vayera. After that, our Erev Shabbos music mix, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. 9 o'clock tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. JM Sunday with Matt, this is coming Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. live here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.